0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Rimmel, credential reporter, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. With the season right around the corner and camps open around the NBA, I've been answering questions about the Miami Heat and giving you the answers you need to get ready. Make sure you check out the two previous episodes where I talked about Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, the goal for the regular season, and much more. Today, I'll be talking about Tyler Hero and Casey Okpala. I finally come around on the Okpala train. I'm starting to see what a lot of people have hoped would develop, and uh, I'll talk about what his role might be this season. But first, some news. Shams Harani at The Athletic tweeting out the NBA schedule for Christmas Day. And it looks like the Miami Heat are on the schedule. They'll be playing the first game of the day, a noon showing at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. And people are upset about it. And I'm not quite sure. I'm going to look at it from both sides. How about that? Because I feel like, let's start with and You'd think it's disrespectful to be playing... New Orleans Pelicans that they're not a quality team that they're not a playoff team last year valid points the 12 o'clock showing is also somewhat disrespectful because they were an NBA finalist last year and now they're the early game where people are still you know opening presents or traveling for the people on the west coast it's 9 a.m you're probably opening presents at that point in time and You're not going to be watching NBA basketball, at least not that early. Some of you will, but a lot of people will not. Maybe not the vast majority. It's better to have the primetime game, right? That's the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Dallas Mavericks. So it's a Luka Doncic versus LeBron James matchup. It's not Jimmy Butler versus Zion Williamson. And and you know what? I I totally get that perspective. I, I see that maybe the early start is probably not warranted. And considering some of the other games that are going to be on the slate, from the East, it's the Bucks, Celtics, Nets, as far as the other three teams in the East that are going to be playing on Christmas Day. So Nets, Celtics, and Bucks, who are taking on the Golden State Warriors at 2.30 p.m. I understand. Look, the East is not as sexy in some ways. They don't have the same kind of star power that the Western Conference does. Not the same kind of name-brand recognition that you want to include on a Christmas Day lineup. But, you know, the Bucks they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time MVP. The Nets have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. The Celtics are a huge market, and that team, that brand, still gets the same kind of recognition. I don't know. I, either Even as I'm talking about the cons and, and why people are upset about this, I can totally understand this. I don't think your average fan, and that's what we're looking at here, the NBA is trying to make money. They're trying to recoup a lot of the losses from last season. They're trying to build the NBA brand back up. And a big part of that, just like your casual fan will watch the Super Bowl party, not caring who's actually playing on the field they'd rather watch the commercials or they'd rather have you know nachos and and try out recipes for their super bowl party it's not about the game it's not about the contestants thanksgiving super bowl i mean th- thanksgiving football is the same way yeah the team suck you're not really watching that you're kind of just have tv on in the background as you're in your turkey coma your tryptophan com- coma i think for christmas day basketball and the people listening to this show probably don't fall into this category. I mean, if you're listening to NBA podcasts, you're a diehard fan. You love the heat, or else you wouldn't be listening to Lockdown Heat. But as far as, you know, what the the NBA is looking to accomplish, they're trying to bring in those fans on the periphery, people that don't necessarily watch it, uh, basketball that aren't, you know, have maybe have even been turned off by the, the coronavirus and the lack of steady schedule, maybe ha- haven't watched basketball the same way they normally would. You know, there's a lot of different external factors here. They're trying to include as many big names, as many star names as possible. And look, I I get it. You feel like the Heat should have deserved better, but I I don't know. I I mean, maybe it works out. Maybe it's, to me, I actually like the schedule. I like the, not just the schedule, but I like the matchup against the New Orleans Pelicans. I made a recent point on Locked on NBA with my former Heat co-host, Wes Goldberg, where we talked about, one of the things that we were looking forward to the most in training camp, and I got to say, like Stan Van Gundy and this roster that he has in New Orleans, really exciting stuff. And It's not just an interesting mix of talent, but veterans, young players, guys looking to still establish themselves in the league. It's such a broad mix of talent and players. And to see them, I think you're also bringing in a, a, a lot of fans that might know about Williamson and his star power. To me, that's almost like a great thing then that you're matching up against him because if you have Bam Adebayo going up against Zion Williamson, that's a really nice matchup. I got to say, now that I'm thinking about this, this is really, really good stuff. And I also understand that maybe Jimmy Butler as a top 15-ish, top 10-ish player in the league, depending on what your views are on some of the top 10 players in the league, I just don't think he has that same kind of – name recognition he doesn't have the hardware he doesn't have the the championship success and you have to under you have to kind of think about the number of fans that watch the game in in may and june they only see playoff basketball they only watch the finals and last year was such an aberration because of the bubble and everything else i don't think you got those same kind of fans tuning in to watch jimmy butler do as well as he did he's just he doesn't have that kind of star power yet and, it, you know, that's fair or unfair. That's the reality of it. So I understand the league's perspective. And, and I think, you know, it, it's a good opportunity for Miami. And if you ask Eric, Spol- Eric Spolstra, he won't care. He just wants to get back to running basketball. And when you think about the fact that Miami is on the Christmas Day schedule in the first place, there are only 10 teams on the schedule, five games being played. That's, you know, 33% of the league, 10 out of 30 teams. And the only reason that the Clippers and Nuggets, the Nuggets took some severe losses in free agency and probably will not be the contenders they were over the last couple of seasons. The only reason that they're there in the first place is because it's a late tip off, ten thirty tip off. So think about that. You know, that's seven thirty tip off in the West Coast. By that point, many people on the East won't be watching basketball. You're not watching you're not staying up to watch the Clippers versus the Nuggets. I mean, I will. Maybe some of you will. I think your average fan, again, the people that they're looking to target on Christmas Day aren't watching Nikola Jokic go up against you know the robot in in Los Angeles. As good as those players are, they just don't have that same kind of star recognition. And that's not a knock. You know that if you've been listening to the show, I I, I love the NBA in general. I love all the teams that are playing in the NBA. Every one of them, eh, maybe not the Kings, but all the rest of the teams in the NBA have something to look forward to and and something worth bringing them on and, and, and watching. And so... I can understand why some of you are upset, but I think you. this is still a great honor. It's still a great matchup. You're bringing in a lot of NCAA fans that remember Zion's impact in Duke. You're bringing a lot of Duke fans around the country. This is a nice matchup. It has a lot of star power to it. Big names. Maybe not the kind of star power that, that attracts your casual fan, but either way, if you're, if you're not traveling, and you shouldn't be, and if you're, you're at home and you've finally opened presents, this is this is a nice kick to the next start of the day, like the, the next phase. You go through your presents, you're going to be at home anyway, hopefully, because of the coronavirus, you're not going to be traveling as much, you're not going to be going from house to house. And if that's the case, you just click on the tube, first thing there, you watch the game, and then you've got a buzz going for the rest of the day because the heat are going to stomp all over the New Orleans Pelicans. So it's going to be fine. I think it's a great thing. I think it's good for Miami. I think it's good for basketball in general. It's great to have Christmas Day basketball back. I know we had it last year too, but it just feels like this is one of those steps in kind of returning things to a sense of normalcy. And we'll see how it plays out. Coming up next, Tyler Hero spoke to media on Wednesday, and his responses provided some context for what he'll be doing next season. I'll talk about that here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. week I'll be answering key questions for the team as they start training camp. Make sure you're up to speed by subscribing to On Heat on your favorite app to listen to podcasts and always get the newest episode. So the question is a simple one. What's next for Tyler Hero? And it's probably a little bit more prescient, at least for me, because he's been making the rounds. He spoke to media on Wednesday, but he also recorded a podcast with JJ Redick, which is absolutely something you should definitely check out. I don't normally recommend other podcasts, but JJ's is a fantastic one, and he really has gotten a lot of Heat players to open up. Tyler has been the last of these, and he talked a little bit about his swag, about his shooting stroke, things that you know have affected him throughout his career as far as being able to transfer from or decommit from Wisconsin and go to Kentucky and, of course, uh, being in Miami. He loves it here. But there was something that happened as I was watching his presser on Wednesday and the way he was talking to media and answering our questions – and I got to be honest with you, I am buying all the stock on Tyler Hero. If I was encouraged by his performance in the bubble and throughout the regular season, I'm even more committed to seeing what happens next for Tyler because I think he is going to be a star. I'm not just saying this. I, I'm not prone to over-inflating my opinions of a player or things of that sort, but I, I look at Tyler – And there was something about the way he handled these questions as definitely as he did. And he responded so positively and with such a clear idea of what he wants. And to me, that is such a positive sign because I think young players are so rarely, so self-aware of what they need to do and what their goals are. But he's already much more accomplished than your average rookie, yes, he maybe he didn't get the kind of hardware that your typical rookie of the year does. John Morant had a much more productive season in terms of his overall points per game and his statistical output. But Tyler Hero went to the NBA Finals as a contributor to a title contending team. That is unbelievable. And yet he says it so clearly that this is just something that wet his appetite. He is looking for more. This is the first of what will be a long, productive career of him seeking championships because he got a taste for it. And moreover, he could just be paying a slip service, but his work ethic, his determination, is so consistently lauded by the media, by the members of the organization, by his trainer, whom I've spoken to, about Tyler's work ethic, and it's off the charts. That kind of commitment at such a young age, bodes so well for me that I am, I am at a point now where I think, I don't know that there's a ceiling for Tyler. I think he'll be limited by his physicality, the short arms, perhaps a little less explosive, but I think he has other intangible qualities and some tangible ones too. He's not an unathletic person. He just might not be the kind of Uber athlete that tends to succeed at the NBA level. But everything else in combination, I think, is greater than that. And and to me, I don't see a future Hall of Fame player, perhaps. If I had to estimate what Tyler's likely career arc would be, multi-time all-star, high-volume score, high-usage player, renowned for coming up big in the clutch, And improving in other aspects of his game, not just a score, but a solid defender, solid rebounder, and good playmaker. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of just, I tend not to use my opinion and feelings when I'm kind of looking at a player and evaluating what that player might be. But something just seemed to click for him and then subsequently click for me because watching him respond with such a clear vision for his career and what he wants to do. I don't know, something about it just really resonated with me. And I am at a point now where I I really do think we're gonna see an even bigger performance from him. Now he's already understanding that he's not looking for a role. He's not coming off the bench or starting. He doesn't care about that, whatever coach says. But that doesn't mean he's lacking in confidence. He's also put in more work. Even during the short turnaround, we've seen him continue to do work. His reaching out to Precious Achua, a young rookie in himself, but older than Tyler, and saying, Come on, let's go get that work in. This is a foundational type player, I think. It's just, it seems so weird because I don't know that we've ever had a player like this in Miami. A player that is probably best known for their offensive production. Like, Dwayne was a two way player, and his offense was a little different, more. I think based on overall athleticism and more than anything else, and, and while he was absolutely productive and an MVP-level player, Tyler's game seems a little different, much more fluid, better shooter than Dwayne ever was. And I, I think those things are going to continue to develop. I mean, he's already a very solid player, and I think he's going to continue to evolve and, and get even better in those aspects, those strengths that he already has. And if that's the case, I, I don't know. It's just it's interesting to me seeing what a kind of a a player he is, what kind of a person he is, and how he's part of this franchise that, you know, usually seems to embrace players that are defensive minded. And when you're looking at a, a potential star, even Bam, who is clearly the cornerstone of this franchise now, he's much more of a all around player, a guy that makes plays, that plays defense at an incredibly high level. Not your typical score. And in that sense that duo, I mean, we're talking about bringing in De Dekumpo or Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Victor Oladipo, whatever superstar name you want. But if you're looking for a superstar duo, what's wrong with the one you've got? I mean, I think that they're very complimentary players. Tyler, as a point of attack, just a guy who can... Put the ball down, create offense for himself and others who can stretch the floor, who's willing to take capable of taking big shots. And then you've got a guy like Bam who does all the other little things. To me, that's a, a great set of players that provide multiple aspects of a game and multiple, and in a strong way. I, I don't know. I, I just, the more I see the tea leaves and, and read them and see what's happening with this summer, this offseason, excuse me, and what I'm hearing from other players around the league, yes, we understand the Clipper situation is very volatile and there's always the potential for a superstar to ask for a trade. But right now, I don't know that we're looking, I don't know that it's possible that we'll add a superstar player in 2021. I don't know if the Giannis dream is dead or not. Honestly, I think it's very much still alive. He can force a trade. He can just not sign his Supermax extension. There are lots of different p- possibilities, but even if those things fall through, even if there's no superstar, no whale in the horizon, I think you've got a pretty good core moving forward. I think Jimmy provides a lot still at this point in time in his age, and if he continues to age somewhat gracefully and his career doesn't take a sharp decline, which that is unfortunately a potential aspect, then you've got a, a you've got a great group of players there and as long as you can keep building around them and retooling around them you'll probably have a team that could contend for the playoffs and a title almost every year for the next five six years it's exciting it's a good thing to see I I mean I I was not expecting Tyler to be the kind of productive player he was and moreover I think that we're starting to see potential for him to get even better to be more of an impactful player it's a good time to be a Heat fan and Tyler is going to be a big part of it moving forward. But a divisional opponent made a big change while I was recording this podcast. I'll talk about that in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. You can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskAllHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. So this was a podcast about 24 hours in the making. I started recording this early Wednesday afternoon and then things just well, got away from me as they often do when you are a parent of a toddler. And then as I was recording the podcast again and trying to reconnect, it seemed like Well, all hell broke loose in the NBA landscape as Russell Westbrook was traded from the Houston Rockets to the Washington Wizards. You know, obviously we saw that a move was coming. I guess it was just no longer tenable for him in Houston with the change in coaching, with the change in the front office, with James Harden so clearly dominating the decision making process in in Houston, it seemed like Westbrook wanted out. And that they're going to commit to Harden moving forward, at least in the short term. I know we've been hearing a lot about Harden wanting to be traded to Brooklyn. That still remains a possibility. From what I've seen, it seems like things have cooled down on both sides. Both the Rockets don't want to trade him, and Harden is willing to stay, especially now that they've acquired a player like John Wall. And as far as the Westbrook thing is concerned, I think that's – I know a lot of Heat fans certainly wanted him here in Miami. I think that he was never going to be a great fit here. I don't think that he's his game has evolved to the point where he can be a solid contributor. But in Washington, it makes a lot of sense. That feels like a more dangerous team than it was just a day or so ago. From Washington's perspective, they bring in a guy like him who can attack the paint. Sure, his shot is not reliable. You don't want to count on that. But they're surrounding him with shooters. If that's the case then all of a sudden you've got a much more versatile offensive attack. I think Wall's a better passer, a better shooter, but with Westbrook there, you have a different dynamic approach. You space the floor, you have kind of a four-out system, and Westbrook is free to attack the paint. And I could see that being a lot more dangerous than it was. Having said that, I'm also concerned about Washington's emergence as a potential playoff candidate. I think a lot of people are penciling the top teams in the East pretty clearly. Obviously, Miami's among those. But with those teams like Washington, Atlanta, maybe Charlotte, if things click there in a way that I don't anticipate, even Orlando, although they'll be, they'll be without Jonathan Isaac for the whole season, and so that makes them less dangerous. Miami can't afford to make any mistakes here. And sometimes those mistakes aren't controllable. There are outside forces, injury certainly COVID-19, any prolonged absence by one of Miami's star players, Jimmy, Bam, maybe to a lesser extent, Goron, Tyler. If those players miss some time, Miami's a lot more vulnerable than they should be. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation where you're hoping you're healthy as you limp into the playoff play-in tournament, which is still a reality this year. And if that's the case... That playoff spot isn't necessarily guaranteed. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that Washington all of a sudden got substantially better over the course of just a couple of days. John Wall, probably the better player at this point, maybe even the better fit in Washington, but you're not sure what you're getting from him as far as his injury status. That's the reason he was traded in the first place. I like the move for Houston, although it's very, very questionable considering, again, you're not quite sure what you're getting. Wall could spend most of the time injured if he's healthy, All of a sudden, they're a contending team in the Western Conference all over again. But I'm focused on the Washington side of things because it impacts Miami directly for a number of reasons, the least of which is, well, their playoff spot is somewhat more difficult now with Washington's improvements. As far as how Miami approaches the upcoming battle, well, your options are to start Avery Bradley. I think that certainly would be a possibility, not just to face Westbrook, but you've got Drew Holiday in Milwaukee. You've got point guard improvements throughout the Eastern Conference. You're going to be facing a lot more difficult challenges than you might have anticipated. The East was always considered, you know, perhaps somewhat devoid of superstar-level talent, especially at the point guard position, or has been for a few years. Kyle Lowry, arguably the best point guard in the East, and I don't know if he's a superstar-level talent right now. Very, very good, very solid player. Superstar, somewhat debatable. But Avery Bradley's addition to the team as a perimeter defender certainly makes a lot more sense. And he's a guy who can make Westbrook uncomfortable, and he'll still be a factor otherwise. So, I mean, look, it's difficult. Eric Spolstra talked today to media, and he was glowing about Bradley's addition, saying that he was a player that's been on Miami's radar for some time, that they've wanted to acquire him ever since a pre-draft workout where he super excelled uh, and showed the kind of determination that is such a force here in Miami. And, and for Bradley, I, I mean, he's trying to prove himself as a one-year deal. I, I think if he wants to extend his NBA career, it's important for him to have a good showing in Miami. I think he had other potential suitors, don't get me wrong, but he, to play for a contender, to provide a valuable service and a fit here, and again, there is some connection throughout his career. He played in Boston and things of that sort. I think Miami is lucky to have him here, and I think he's going to have a great role as a defensive guard. I don't know if you start him. It's certainly a possibility. You don't want to get in too deep a hole going up against superstar level talent across the Eastern Conference, so I, I think it's a concern. Now, the other factor here is what happens with Bradley Beal, and I think that's an interesting question because all of a sudden, you bring in a volatile personality like Russell Westbrook, who I'm not so sure wants to be in Washington, but if he's there... How do you build your team around him? How do you cater to his personality? He has This is a very unique situation for him. He was in Oklahoma City, and he'd been there throughout his whole career, and he's able to kind of put his imprint on the franchise in a way that no other player can, to some degree, what we saw from Harden in Houston or what we're seeing from him. He can't do that in Washington. This isn't his team. No, that's his former coach, Scott Brooks, along the sideline there, so that certainly helps. But you got Bradley Beale there. John Wall was a... Huge figure in Washington sports, beloved by the community, and although he'd been injured and his contract was very onerous, I think he was generally still beloved there, and it's a big loss for them. And Westbrook, you kind of live and die by the Westbrook sword. There are going to be some games where he's going to save you and some others where he buries you, and that's just a reality. For Bradley's perspective, though, does this – increase his likelihood of remaining in Washington or asking for a trade at some point or looking to leave there in free agency? Because I think it's the latter. I think it's going to be a ticking time bomb there. And while it might work, if they can't get out of the first round, if Westbrook costs them a series because of his usual antics, I could very much expect Bradley to ask out of Washington somehow or to just leave. And I think that's a realistic possibility. As much as I said in a previous segment that I don't know if you're going to be able to acquire a quote-unquote superstar Following off season, this addition of Westbrook certainly adds a new set of chemicals to an already combustible mix. You get a superstar level talent, Bradley Beal. I think he's now been given the keys to the franchise to some degree. But it, again, you can totally upset that balance very, very quickly with a personality like Westbrook's. And if that's the case, I don't know that Beal wants to stay there. It's an interesting question. We'll have to see how it plays out throughout the course of the season. I think it could work in the short term, but I don't know how sustainable it is, one, in the playoffs. I don't know how sustainable it is throughout the regular season. Things could go very badly very quickly. Look, we're all clutching at straws here. I I think you look at the schedule, travel, injury risk, everything else, there's a lot of unstable factors here when you look at next season. And adding a personality like Westbrook – It can burn. It can burn you very, very badly. And so uh, I'm not so sure. If I had to offer my prediction, I'd say it's not going to work as well as people are hoping it does. And so Beal is very much still an option. Despite his talk about loyalty to the franchise and loyalty to the area, I think he'd want to find a way to finally get out of there and go to a team that's a proven winner. And we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm sure Miami is one of several suitors around the league. If Westbrook, I'm sorry, if Harden decides to stay in Houston, does he suddenly get more interest from Brooklyn? Are they willing to pull a trigger on a trade? It's going to play out over the course of the season. Unfortunately, I will be able to get into my raving review of Casey Okpala Paula. It's going to have to wait until next time. Of course, just make sure that you stay plugged in to the latest information by always subscribing to this. And remember to get your team every day just by asking your smart device to play locked on heat as soon as you get in your car. I'm David Rimmel signing off and thanking you as always for your support.